0: We are talking about in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. That is, when the time was right, when the world was ready, God prepared the world for the coming of Messiah. And over and over again, we have in history the components of that preparation. I want to remind you that I have shared from the very outset of all the messages having to do with the fullness of time, that the 400 silent years, as they're called by historians and theologians, does not mean that God was inactive. God is not static. God is ever moving. God is ever planning. God is ever executing. And that's what he was doing, just because there was no open word from a prophet, That does not mean that God was not moving. And we must remember this just from a practical standpoint. Many times we pray and we do not see movement and we think God's not hearing us. David wrestled with this. King David, who wrote most of the Psalms. Others in the scriptures have agonized when they could not hear from God. We must remember that God always hears us and God will act. And many times it is not in the way that we want, but God doesn't suddenly go deaf. He hears us, but the prophet Isaiah said that God has not gone deaf, that he cannot hear us nor his eyes gone blind, that he cannot see us, but rather our sins have separated us from God. That's one reason why we do not sense the presence and the movement of God in our lives. But understand, God is even taking the bad things that come into our lives, what many times is the cause of our sin, sometimes what others do to us. He takes all of those things and uses them for our good and for His glory. That's what the Bible teaches in Romans eight, twenty eight and 29, for this purpose, to conform us to the image of Jesus. And so we are looking toward the coming of the Messiah during these 400 silent years and before, during the Babylonian period, during the Persian period. Today I want to speak to you about the Greek period, which I believe the Greek period and the Roman period are the most important in preparation. A lot of things happened. So many things happened. I cannot deal with all of them in the Babylonian period, in the Persian period. One day God may let me do that, hopefully in writing to put some things together for those of us who are common people that are not noted academics, but those who write for the common man, those who are teaching Sunday school, those who are preaching in most of the pulpits of America and around the world, in very small churches that do not have access always to the mentoring that others have had. But it's very important that we understand that God Intricately and with great detail prepared the world, even in the details of the Persian period that I cannot go into with Ezra, Parsha and the Haftorah and the daily Torah portions and how God even laid that out so that when Jesus was in the synagogue at Nazareth, he would have exactly on the right day that he was there, the Torah portion he needed when he was handed the scroll Isaiah to read in Luke chapter 4. On and on and on, I could go the great minute details of how God prepared the world. But let's go back to the big picture and let's go to Greece. I have shared with you before something of Philip the Macedon and his military prowess and his troubles and his victories. But he had a son. His son was called Alexander. Alexander. Alexander, from about age 12 until around 15, studied under the great Aristotle, the great teacher and philosopher. He implanted into Alexander a love for learning, and Aristotle really had such a high view of Greek culture that it's almost the point to where anybody that was not Greek should be enslaved until they have come to the point of where the Greeks are. But Alexander was much broader and bolder than that. But he did believe that anywhere that Greeks went, they needed to take their language because they believed it was the greatest language in all of the history of mankind. They believed in their philosophy and their culture and everything from the great uh, tragedies and dramas and everything that had to do with Greece itself. And so when Alexander, at age 16, began to show his military strategy and uh, military genius, they it became evident after he conquered Thrace, which was a, a great accomplishment. You can read about the annals of Alexander's early military victories. But after his father died, after he was assassinated, King Philip, then Alexander really consolidated his power. He executed those that he believed had to do with the murder of his father, and he executed other people as well. And he, he consolidated his power. He began to conquer the nations around him, all the way through what we would call Thessaly and the region of Corinth and all of the area. But really, his goal was always to confront Persia. And I think there were a lot of reasons for that that I won't go into again, because I'm going somewhere with this. But if you want to study something that's fascinating, study something of the why behind his desire to conquer the world. It wasn't just to take Greek culture and language. He needed money, and you can usually trace the money and get to the bottom of of whatever it is that's motivating people, especially if they're people of power because they have to have money in order to continue to consolidate their power. And the armies and the mercenaries that were hired, I mean, the strategy of world conquest that Alexander had took a lot of money. I mean, he had 9,000 hired mercenaries with 13-foot phalanxes that he had to train them and continue to train them to use those. No army could even stand in in front of them. And so when he crossed over the Hellespont, over the Bosphorus into what is modern day Turkey, and then he began to really roll. He went through what is Syria today, what is Iraq today, what would be Israel and Jordan today, especially centering in on Petra and then Egypt on that North African continent and went all the way into Persia, what would be portions of modern day India. Just an incredible run that he had. But uh, Alexander didn't live long. He died, and after he died, he left the kingdom to no one. No one was really strong enough to take over for Alexander, and so it was divided up. Lysimachus, one of his generals, took Thrace and much of Asia Minor. Cassander took Macedonia and Greece. Ptolemy captured Egypt, the area of what is modern-day Israel today, Cilicia, Petra, Cyprus, he began what was known as the Ptolemaic dynasty, which had some major players, like one of his sons that was called also Philadelphus, who asked the chief priest of Jerusalem to send six Scholars from all the 12 tribes of Israel to translate the Hebrew scriptures into the Koine Greek language that people of Greece could read and they could put in the library because they did not have that. And the library, the great library, Alexandria, Egypt, which was the premier library of the ancient world. The library was so great at Alexandria due to a lot of factors, but one was they had ready access to papyrus. Papyrus was the paper of the day. And in that Nile Delta, that diluvian fan, you had this plant in great uh, plentiful supply. And that was taken so that the library could be supplied with all of the writings of the ancient world. And that's exactly what happened. They had copiers going 24-7. And so out of that request from the chief priest came what we know as the Septuagint. And I've talked about the Septuagint, uh, the LXX as it's usually looked upon and abbreviated in um, academic literature. The Septuagint is very important for our English Bibles and I'm not going to get into that but I, I do want you to understand that this was an important time in history and God was preparing the world for the coming of the Messiah. This is the period of the Maccabees. This is the period of the Hasmonean dynasty which was still very much and not in control because Rome took care of that with their iron fist shut down uh, the Hasmoneans, but they were still ruling in Jerusalem as the uh, chief priest and uh, the dynasty of the Hasmoneans was still firmly in control with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, uh, making up two critical parts of the world into which Jesus came. But all of that came from the Greek period, not the Roman period, the Greek period. Then you had Seleucus, who had really the area of Syria, Babylon, Persia, India, and so forth. And so the kingdom, the Greek kingdom, was divided up. Now the reason that's important is they were constantly battling over the land bridge that we call Israel and Jordan, the promised land. It is the land bridge between the continent of Asia and the continent of Africa, and it was constantly being fought over by Seleucus and by the Ptolemaic dynasty. The last of that Ptolemaic dynasty was not a king. It was a queen, several times named, but Cleopatra, the one that you read about in ancient history that was in an affair with an adulterous relationship, just an open, flagrant relationship with Julius Caesar and then with Mark Antony that I'll talk about during tomorrow's podcast and the Roman period. But I want you to understand that it was during this period of time that Daniel's uh, prophecy of the abomination of desolation that he talked about, which is a precursor and a foreshadowing of the great man of sin that will arise that the Bible calls the Antichrist that is uh, delineated in the book of Daniel and then in the book of Revelation from uh, chapter 6 onward until his defeat in chapter 19. All of that happened during this Greek period. But it's during this Greek period that the language of the world became Koine Greek, and that's critical for the Messiah, the gospel and the message of the Messiah being spread. There had to be a world trade language, and that was not Hebrew. Hebrew wasn't even spoken anymore except in the synagogues and in the temple. The language that Jesus would have spoken would have been certainly Aramaic, the language of the captivity and the exile. Nehemiah speaks about this, that the Hebrew language died during that time, except except for the reading of Torah and so forth, and that which was associated with worship. During the period of the New Testament, you'll recall that those that came in from around the world, from all the different regions that were named in Acts chapter 2, they were Hellenists. They were not those who grew up in uh, the Galilee, not those who grew up in Judea or Samaria or in Perea or any of the uh, cities, the Greek city-states called the Decapolis, uh, anywhere up in the area of Syria. No, no, they were Hellenists. They were people who had, been Greekized, if you will. They they spoke the language. They had the culture. They were more Greek than they were anything else in their being. And this caused great problems in the early church that manifested itself in Acts chapter 6. Again, what I'm doing here today is helping you to understand something of the preparation. And part of that preparation was one language that would be spoken worldwide. Why is that important? Because when Saul of Tarsus, who was was probably trilingual or quadlingual, like the rest of the disciples. Certainly the disciples, all the apostles would have spoken Aramaic. They would have been speaking Hebrew. They would have known Koine Greek. And they probably knew enough Latin to get them by as well. And so that's not out of the ordinary. Even today in Israel and other parts of the world that are not third world countries, because they learn languages up front. America is about the only country I've ever traveled in that just the people predominantly speak just one language which this was important because everywhere that the apostles went preaching, they could preach in one language and could be understood worldwide. Now, this is very important. What am I talking about? In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law for this purpose to redeem those of us who were under the curse of sin, that we might be adopted into God's family. And so the Greek period is absolutely fascinating. I hope sometime you can spend more time in it. I hope sometime I can deal with it. We're filming as rapidly as we can. We'll start up again in January with the production of Bible Time Classroom. I hope very soon in the year, January, February, we will have on the Internet for you to take the first class while we are rapidly filming and producing the Old Testament in its historical contextual study. The goal again is to, by the end of this coming year, by the end of this coming year, to have several of the courses so that you can study online at your own pace. Much of that is going to be at some point dealing with the Babylonian captivity and what happened in the Persian period, the Greek period that I've just in a very flash of a way, very rapidly covered the critical points of the language and the territories and the period of the Hasmoneans, which had such influence over the New Testament, especially during the days of Jesus. Then we're going to look at the Roman period tomorrow. But these are critical days that are just glanced over. We just jump from Malachi. We jump right into the New Testament, and we don't know the background of Luke chapter 2. We do not know the background of Matthew chapter 1. We just read right over the scriptures, and we go with what someone told us before without ever reading. As I told you before, Matthew's gospel is the gospel of the king and the kingdom. And the magi that came to see Jesus, they didn't come to a stable. They came to a house. It's very clear in the Bible. It's what it says in the text. They did not come to a breakfast. They came to a patia, They came to a toddler. They came to a child, not to an infant, Just things like that we just gloss right over, and the truth is we don't want to change it. We don't want to mess people up with their nativity scenes and what they've always seen in Christmas plays and what we've always believed to where we just go ahead and perpetuate ignorance. And so we've got to stop that, and once we learn something, we need to share it with all the evidence, with all the teaching, with all the background that we need to, but we need to teach it. So the language is important because it's how the gospel was spread. That's what the New Testament was written in, not Hebrew. It was written in Koine Greek. Why? Because that was the language that could be read anywhere in the world. And God's not just concerned with the Jews. God's concerned with the whole world. Yes, the people uh, called Israel, the Jewish people are a special possession of God. But that's for another podcast. But God loves people other than Jews, and God elected more than just the Jews. God has a plan and a purpose for more than just the Jews, but the Jews are the conduit. They were, they are, they will be the conduit by which God speaks to the world, yes, even to the church. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp.